early, early in the morning, the women had no answers. It seemed like Saturday all over again, and it seemed like the night before that. Their darkness had not lifted. The sound of the earthquake still reverberated in their bones. They could not shake Jesus' Christ from the cross from their minds. Carrying layers of grief, even their questions were unclear. They entered the garden, dragging their feet as though they were stones, disbelieving in shock at the green earth, the morning dew, the color, the life reaching toward the sun. Still, they were shattered. Each thought collided with another. They felt like they were back at the beginning, getting up, picking up the broken pieces in their lives, starting over again. If they could just hear Jesus' voice one more time, get a word about what to do next. The closer they got to the tomb to tend to Jesus' body, the more their grief engulfed them. Maybe they could seek comfort in the shadows. In the shadows, nothing was certain. They could rush madly into the world without respect for who they were now and had always planned to be followers of Jesus. Or they could try to forget what the last months and several years had meant to them and indulge in every diversion and every fancy that came to mind. Even in their fear, they remembered that they were called to love. Deep in their hearts, they knew that how they loved was the only thing that would give meaning to their lives, any meaning at all, any substance. Jesus had taught them that love is service, love is justice, love is care and compassion, love is grace and forgiveness, love is living in the world for others, love is resurrection when it comes. We hold in our hands the darkness and the light. As the Isaiah passage said, the grief and the blessings, the fear and the confidence, so much is true all at once. The moments we seize and those we let slip through our fingers, the painful losses and the carefully tended memories, the times we disappoint others and the times when we are able to rise to the occasion and do what we believe is the right thing to do. Like some of you, I was privileged to hear Kate Bowler at Baylor last month. She's an associate professor of American religion at Duke Divinity School with friends here at Lakeshore. She was here to talk about her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Maybe you've heard of it. She wrote the book after being diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at the age of 35. And this is the line I triply underlined in her book. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. She said to the group gathered that day, I can't reconcile the way that the world is jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible, the gorgeous and the tragic, except that I'm beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. 
I think the same thoughts again and again. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. Her words made me think of the story that Rowan Williams experienced when he was Archbishop of Canterbury. Once in Sudan, he saw that life is never just one thing. He witnessed hunger, poverty, trauma, brutality. This surely was a world untouched by Easter, he said. Williams continued, growing up I was taught that you should never under any circumstances say Alleluia during Lent. Sounds like a children's time. <laughs> Save it till Easter, Williams said, then you'll really enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed. Every year we need to live for a little while in such a way that Easter comes as a massive surprise. But in Sudanese worship, he discovered the unexpected. No occasion is free from Alleluia's. Alleluia said the women and children greeting him. Alleluia proclaimed every preacher at the microphone. Alleluia, the worshipers said. Lent it might have been, but to his ears it was Easter at the same time. What if, like Sudanese believers, we had lived so long with abandonment and terror and pain that you could never forget it or ignore it? Williams asked. Could we still say Alleluia? Could we still ring our bells? The faithful people of Sudan had come through everything with their confidence intact that God was always with them through all they had endured and all they would endure. Because God is alive, they could live too. What else to say but Alleluia? Matthew doesn't record any words the women spoke, but he does record what the angel said when he saw their fear. He is not here. He has risen, and then words that fulfilled a promise. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. The angel's words revoked a resounding alleluia in the women's hearts. The searing pain and fear gave way to great joy. When everything was eerily unfamiliar, they heard a familiar word that brought them comfort. Galilee, they knew. Galilee, Jesus knew. Galilee was home, their old stomping ground, the place they had first known Jesus. Everything would be all right. For Jesus had risen from the dead just as he said he would. Why had they doubted? They were going to get to see him again in Galilee. In his commentary on Matthew, Tom Long writes of Mary and the other Mary, that without even knowing that they had crossed the border from old life to new life, they left the old world where hope is in constant danger and might makes right and peace has little chance and the rich get richer and the weak all eventually suffer under some Pontius Pilate or another and people hatch murderous plots and they entered the startling and breathtaking world of resurrection and life. It's what we want to, when we are shocked or saddened by news. We want anything that will help us make sense of life that is all too quickly 
turned a familiar world into a chaotic, painful one, of life that has turned out to be different than what we had hoped. We want to wake up from what feels like a bad dream times a thousand and have everything be like it was. In these times of searching for God, we are kindred spirits to the psalmist who first wondered, where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to the farthest places, you are there. Galilee is the place from which the disciples and the women came, their home turf, the place of daily routine where the olive groves, the lake thick with fishing boats, and the names and places of people were familiar. The place had meaning for Jesus' followers, not only for its geography, but because it was home to familiar people made new. A centurion, a paralytic let down through the roof, a woman with an alabaster bottle of perfume, Jairus' sick daughter, a demon-possessed man, a boy with barley loaves and fishes, all had known the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Galilee was where their lives were transformed. Many of you know Helen Harris, who was on the faculty at the Baylor School of Social Work. She came to talk to our care group leaders one time and offered us probably the best single hour of pastoral ministry teaching that I've ever heard. One thing she reminded us is that every encounter with a person in a hospital is different. There are broad strokes about ministering to people in different situations. No one visit will ever be like another because no one person, no illness, no family configuration is like another. So we wonder and sometimes worry about how we will respond when we are walking into a new room, a new situation. And Helen told us, as I'm walking down the hall at the hospital, I always pray, Lord, I haven't been here before, but you are going with me and you are already there. Walking into our Galilees with Jesus brings life, not death, communion, not separation. Helen's prayer always reminds me that with my, within my own power, I can't make much of a difference, but I have confidence when I believe that Christ is already there. In Galilee, alongside Jesus, where we keep practicing resurrection, sometimes we are competent in caring, sometimes blundering, always dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ to lead us on. What Christ was before in the old familiar places, he, he is now and so much more as resurrected Lord. What he was to those disciples who flanked his side and bent his ear and hung on his words and balked at his commandments and felt pain at his death and joy at his resurrection. What he was then, he is to them now and he is to us in transforming and life-giving ways. This is the good news that through Christ, the most desperate places in our lives can be transformed.